This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Three days after doctors carted Tua Tungwaola off the field, NFL teams benched at least a dozen players because of the concussion protocols. Yahoo Sports called it the Tua effect. The blue checks call it progress. I call it what it is, stupidity. You don't change football because Tua Tungwaola is Glass Joe. You guys remember Glass Joe from the Nintendo Punch-Out arcade game? He was a 38-year-old French flyweight with a record of one win and 99 losses. He was the ultimate beta male and fashionista. He was the first opponent a gamer would face on his way to the title. I'm not calling Tua a beta. He's not. Tua has a heart for the game of football. He's just not built for it. He's small and brittle. He can't take a punch. Tua Tungwaola needs to retire. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday to you and yours. I hope you had a fantastic, great weekend. Uh, I saw two movies. I saw Don't Worry Darling again, and I rewatched one of my all-time classic favorite movies of all time, An Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, it was a fantastic weekend. I watched some football, the Chiefs won, the Ball State Cardinals won. Awesome, awesome weekend. I'm really revitalized and ready for this week. And we have a special guest in studio today with us, making his first in-studio appearance on Fearless, Virgil Walker. Round of applause from the studio audience. <laughs> Virgil, don't screw things up. The show's going I'll, very well. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll uh, do are my you best. ready for this fire uh, that I'm about to start? It's Monday, so we're going to talk football. Steve Kim's going to be here. Uh, Last Chance Q. Uh, Jason Brown, our, Q, our QB guru, is going to be here. And we got Virgil in the studio. I hope you're ready to talk some football, Virgil. I know ministry is your specialty area. Yes, it is. But I, but I like football. You're a sports fan. Yeah, as yeah, well. I like football. This weekend wasn't as good for my Sooners, so we're not going to talk about yeah, that. We're yeah, just the Sooners not. Sooners we're not going to talk good. about that. Yeah, yeah. we just keep. It Are on. you big on Brent Venables? I am big on Brent Venables. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I didn't yeah. like the way. Who's it? Gail Gundy. I didn't yeah, like the Kale way. Gundy. He, yeah, Gail Gundy. Gail Gundy. I didn't yeah. like the way he did him. Anyway, I start talking college football. Steve Kim. Ears will perk up, and then he'll start mixing college football into this NFL conversation we're having. So let me stop talking college football because Steve – I can't control Steve Kim. I don't know if you how much you watch the show, but Time. he talks about whatever he wants to talk about. I've seen that. It doesn't matter what I want to talk about. Uh, but uh, I got a topic for Steve Kim today and for the audience. Uh, it's been four days since the Cincinnati Bengals knocked out Tua Tungviola and we still haven't asked the most obvious question. Should Tua Tungvaola play professional football? His injury history suggests that the talented left-hander doesn't have the physical makeup to survive in the NFL. 
while starring at Alabama, Tua suffered broken fingers, knee and ankle sprains, and a devastating hip injury. Since joining the NFL, the 24-year-old Dolphins quarterback broke a thumb, a finger, endured a rib fracture, and in his last two games, he's been removed twice, the last time on a stretcher. What happened to Tua Tungvaola on Thursday Night Football justifiably provoked emotion. Ragdolled to the ground by a 300-pound defender, Tua suffered temporary paralysis that disfigured his hands. It was gross. I turned off my television and never returned to the game. I didn't want to see the replay. I felt sorry for Tung Viola and his family. Across social media, blue check influencers simultaneously donned stethoscopes and unveiled law degrees, diagnosing the Dolphins in the NFL with criminal malpractice. How could the Dolphins allow Tua to play four days after he left and returned to the Bills game after wobbling off the field with an apparent head and back injury? Heads must roll. The Dolphins obliged firing a doctor for allegedly botching the league's concussion protocols. The Blue Checks also blasted Amazon Prime's halftime crew of Carissa Thompson, Tony Gonzalez, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Richard Sherman for failing to mention and or connect to his latest injury to the injury that occurred four days earlier. Gonzalez made the mistake of honesty, humility, and accuracy when he suggested no one on Amazon's panel was really qualified to second guess the NFL's handling of Tua's injury. Honesty, humility, and accuracy are the enemies of social media. Outrage is Twitter's best friend. Outrage perverts perspective and provokes short-sighted, knee-jerk responses. Mission accomplished. Three days after doctors carted Tua off the field, NFL teams benched at least a dozen NFL players because of the concussion protocols. Yahoo Sports called it the Tua effect. The blue checks call it progress. I call it what it is, stupidity. You don't change football because Tua Tungviola is Glass Joe. You guys remember Glass Joe from the Nintendo Punch-Out arcade game? He was a 38-year-old French flyweight with a record of one win and 99 losses. He was the ultimate beta male and fashionista. He was the first opponent a gamer would face on his way to the title. I'm not calling Tua a beta. He's not. Tua is as mentally tough as any quarterback not named Jalen Hurts. Tua has a heart for the game of football. He's just not built for it. He's small and brittle. He can't take a punch. Tua Tungviola needs to retire. Football doesn't need to be further softened because Tua's genetics make him a bad fit for the NFL. Thursday night football on four days rest is a bad concept. It's a substandard product and it's unfair to the players. However, there are ways to protect the players, improve the game, and give the TV networks more high-end content. Reduce the preseason to two games. Expand the regular season to 18 games played over 20 weeks and limit each player to just 16 games. With a 20-week window to play 18 games, there would be no reason for any team to play after four days of rest. 
With the direction the NFL is headed as it relates to concussions and its protocols, it's going to become more and more rare for skilled players to play all 17 games. You might as well build the downtime into the schedule. The Cowboys have been interesting to watch with Cooper Rush at quarterback. It would be interesting to see coaches manage their rosters over the course of the season. Which weeks and against which opponents would Andy Reid sit Patrick Mahomes? When would John Harbaugh sit Lamar Jackson? But I digress a bit. The point of this mono is that the media botched the reaction to Tua's injury. We spent the weekend blaming the Dolphins and the NFL for Tua's genetics shortcoming. There's no proof that what happened to Tua on Thursday was connected to what happened to him four days earlier. None. That's pure speculation. What we know is Tua gets hurt a lot playing football. We know he's not an ideal size for his position. He doesn't appear particularly strong. Lamar Jackson takes more hits. He doesn't miss games. Nothing perverts logic and nuanced conversation quite like social media. It empowers emotional thinkers and baits logical people to abandon reason. It demands that we vilify certain people based on their race, wealth, authority, and gender, and certain industries based on their relationship to masculinity and popularity. Football is the bad guy. Now, we can watch boxers and UFC fighters get concussed in the ring or octagon and applaud loudly when they shake it off and continue to fight. Over the weekend, I watched Larry Holmes' 1978 fight against Ernie Shavers. Shavers rocked Holmes with a right hand in the 11th round. Holmes collapsed to the canvas, got on his feet, stumbled around the ring the rest of the round, and survived to win the fight. My takeaway was that Holmes was a much greater champion than he's given credit. I didn't rewatch the fight and think, boxing needs to change. They need a concussion protocol. Why are we more concerned about the health of football players than fighters? On social media, concern is attached to agenda, not humanity. Mm. That's my fire. Before I go to Steve Kim, before I go to Virgil, I just want to take care of a little bit of business, take care of one of our sponsors here, take care of my good friends at Good Ranchers. You know who doesn't have spooky meats? Good Ranchers. They deliver America's best meat and seafood to you year round. No costume of labels, no gimmicks, just great meat that shows up at your door so you can skip the meat aisle on the grocery trips. Right now, they're throwing a huge October feast where you can get over four pounds of meat for free. Two pounds of their Wagyu ground beef and two and a half pounds of their better than organic chicken for free with any purchase of one of their bundle boxes. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com fearless to claim your special October feast offer today. Join the tens of thousands of Americans getting 100% American meat delivered to their door. Store-bought meat can be tainted with scary bacteria and has ghoulish inflated prices. Good Ranchers lets you save $25 on every box and lock in your price when you subscribe. Put an end to your meat buying nightmare by visiting GoodRanchers.com fearless to get over four free pounds of high quality beef and chicken. The real monster isn't under your bed. It's really in your fridge. 
Take control over your food with an October feast from Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. Be a good, fearless soldier. Feed your army. Good Ranchers. All right. Steve Kim, uh, welcome back. It's Monday. Uh, Virgil Walker in studio. Have you and Virgil met? Uh, have met you know over air at, at any point? I'm not sure. Oh, we have conversed. No, we have, I mean, we've, we've exchanged. We, we've exchanged some things over <clears throat> over Twitter and social media, but have not yet met. I'm looking forward to the opportunity. I'm, I'm glad to, to be in studio and to get a chance to interact with you here. So that's great. The Korean Cosell and the Bowtied Bandit uh, <laughs> together here on this Monday afternoon. Uh, all right, Steve, I'm going to start with you. Should Tua, is he fit for football? Should he give up football? Should that be the real conversation we're having rather than changing all the concussion protocols? Well, I mean, there's this phrase, <clears throat> he ain't built for this. And if he's not, he's not. And I love the boxing analogy that you use. And she's, you couldn't even give Tua little max status you just flat out called him glass joe but it's hard to argue because the reality is availability is the best ability in the national football league and their mentality is next man up and i I think there's a real issue with the way everyone reacted i want to give tony gonzalez credit because i know the outrage mob when it comes to going against the establishment of the national football league and that whole machine of football is the proper thing to do because you're given that safety cocoon of being PC and quote unquote on the right side of history, right? But Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, who's covering this much closer given the fact it is the Dolphins, he put out some really interesting tweets on Saturday and Sunday where he said, well, wait a minute. The team in the league went through the protocol. He was cleared. There was an independent third party that cleared him. Every new rule was put into place. So then the question becomes, Jason, are we actually doing medical diagnosis or are we merely doing optics to appease the mob? You know, and that's the thing that gets me. It's like, well, wait a minute. If Tua Tungabailoa is not durable, unfortunately, now you're seeing, as you said, the Tua effect, other players and teams are going to be affected by this. And something about that is very illogical. You're right, because go back to boxing. There are a lot of really good amateur fighters. Uh, Names like Kelsey Banks and Augie Sanchez come to my mind immediately. They were really good amateurs. Everyone thought they were going to be future world champions. You know what the problem is, Jason? In the amateur boxing system, you have headgear, at least you back then, and then bigger gloves. And once those guys had to face 8- and 10-ounce gloves and no headgear, oh boy, they had no punch resistance, and their careers really fizzled out quickly. To your question, real quickly, why do people care more about boxers uh, health in the National Football League? I don't think they do. I just think this is given more coverage because the National Football League is the greatest, highest-ranking television show the past 25 years, okay? If boxing was that important, we'd have the same discussions. However, I want to say this. In the last couple of decades, there have been more safeguards for boxing, Jason, because I've seen the reports. When a fighter suffers a cut, they're actually sometimes suspended for 60 to 90 days just for a cut. Now, if they get knocked out, many times the commission will actually file a report and they'll be suspended for four to six months. Now, that doesn't mean they can't spar or train, which is actually troublesome when they do it against the commission's ruling. But I would say that the National Football League protocol right now in its current form is going to make football as safe as it's always going to be because like boxing you can do whatever you want you can cut down rounds you can put like 
uh, doctors in the corner to actually stop the fight, to examine guys. The unfortunate reality is boxers will always be hurt. They'll always be concussed. And really, unfortunately, there will always be certain casualties related to the sport. And in football, men will get damaged. Listen, Thursday night when this happened, I had the same reaction as everybody else. Seeing little bitty Tua, who is very likable, I've met him in person, guy comes from an awesome family, seeing him stretched out, fingers are all going with different directions, look temporary paralysis, it, it, it was tough to look at. Yeah. But when I see a boxer or a UFC fighter get knocked out, the whole p p crowd, everybody erupts in excitement and applause. Oh, this is uh, wonderful. When we see it in football, we've been trained to now go, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world. I don't understand, I, I do understand the difference. My argument is like there's a pack of people out to destroy football because of its place of importance in American society. And they've already killed boxing or already knocked, bo boxing used to be America's yeah. pastime, really was. And they've already knocked it off its pedestal. And, and they're trying to do the same thing with football. Virgil, I'm gonna let you in here. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Um, at the end of the day, what you're seeing in the NFL is just a, a, really a capitulation to, to, to the mob. Uh, everyone's nervous about what things look like, the optics. I love what, what Steve Kim said. It really is about optics. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think the tool effect may, may even be bigger uh, than, than what you mentioned. Uh, one of the things that, that I made note of is, is as Steve Kim talked about, to his durability. We've been talking about smaller QBs for the last two or three seasons now, you know, with, 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 uh, with Kyler Murray, with Baker Mayfield, and again with Tua. And I'm wondering, I'm curious to see if the Tua effect doesn't extend into the kinds of, if we get now the, the more prototypical, you know, uh, quarterbacks as a result, the guys who are, you know, 6'5", you know, 6'7", and larger, uh, that, that they feel like will have durability. Either that or I think what will end up happening is their schedules will be managed in the same way that's, that's taken place in basketball. Right, certain certain load management. Yeah, load management will begin taking place, and they'll say, "Okay, th this game doesn't necessarily matter." While it won't be advertised as such, uh, they may well be pulling pulling uh, QBs out of games that don't matter. The, the thing I, I don't like about that, Steve, is as it relates to Tua. There's no proof that what happened to him on Sunday impacted what happened to him on Thursday. And, and we're all acting like they're connected. How could he be out there? Oh my yeah. God, he looked, until that guy ragdolled him, he looked perfectly fine and was actually having a yeah. good game. I, I just hate everybody sitting on TV or, or on social media acting like they're doctors and they know exactly what happened here. Guys, two points I wanna make as it related to that Thursday game. Look, football players and athletes and teams are now programming. And now they have this multi-billion dollar deal with Amazon Prime. And obviously the quarterbacks are the centerpiece. So there's no doubt about it. If you're the league and the network, you're thinking, hey, let's get Tua in there. No one's here to see Teddy Bridgewater. Tua is one of the early stories. And then we have Joe Burrow because quarterbacks run the league, those type of matchups, right? So, yeah, was there some external pressure to say, hey, can, can, Tua's okay, right? But here's the other thing. I saw a very interesting uh, conversation between Coach Jason Brown and your old partner, Marcellus Wiley. And they actually talked about the physical impact of a 
Thursday game after you play on a Sunday. And I thought for sure Marcellus would say, oh, God, those were terrible. We were so beat up. You know what he said? He says, no, here's the thing. If you came out relatively healthy, and a relative is a term for football, the thing is on those Thursday games, Monday you basically got off. It was a light day. Tuesday was another day off or a light day off. Wednesday was a travel day. And so Marcellus said, especially if you won, you love those weeks because you got three quote-unquote free days. Nobody is going in pads. Nobody's doing an inter-squad scrimmage. So that's a very easy thing to blame is the short window of time. The other thing is, Virgil, I think on that particular play, well, size matters. It always does. Football is a game played by very angry big men. But I've said this, and just going to a pure football standpoint, again, Tua had that grenade, pulled the pin, and he let it blow up in his hands. He held the ball too long. And, again, that may not have anything to do with his health, but style of play matters. But the rush to judgment on this whole thing that, you know what? It's funny. I literally thought that the way it was being talked about on Twitter, because I don't have Amazon Prime. I end up watching the game later that night on the NFL Network that replays it, okay? I'm thinking, man, poor Tua. He must be comatose, and he must be like those TV shows where you're in a hospital and the guy next to you is all wrapped up in bandages like a mummy. And I'm thinking, man, he's going to be there for like three, three weeks. Next thing you know, he's home on the team plane. So the narrative that this guy almost lost his life to the actual truth, they're not even reporting the truth that much. They're not. The one thing I don't think to his issue is that he's 5'11", 6 feet. I mean, he is small, but, but there's, there's bone density, muscle density. I, I know some, there's some undersized guys that are just genetically gifted and have a toughness and a durability that Tua just doesn't seem to have. He's got weak arm strength. I just don't think he's a naturally strong person. And, and Steve, I loved your analogy to amateur fighters. There are some great amateur right. fighters that, can, that are nearly you know, unbeatable with the headgear on and the bigger gloves. Once, and, and that may be Tua, you know, I'm sure he was one of the greatest high school players we've ever seen. He was a great college player. But now that the gloves are smaller and there's no headgear, he's just not built for this. And, and as it relates to Thursday night football, because I'm not a fan of Thursday night football. Playing an NFL game after four days seems kind of crazy. But then I did think about it like we would play college football on Saturday. You would wake up Sunday and feel like uh, you were in a car wreck. You, you would watch film on Sunday. You'd have a no padded practice on Monday right. to let your body recover. And then this is, I'm talking about back in my day in the 80s, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you put the pads on and you started banging heads again, seven, you know, hardcore, yeah. what, they, what they call it, inside drill, offensive line of You went back. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, you went back to playing very physical on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And so it's like, huh. So basically, you know, we'd play on Saturday, we'd rest on Sunday and Monday. And then three days later, we were back to banging each other, <laughs> you know, like it was no big deal. And so, the, the, again, not a huge fan of 
Thursday Night Football, the collisions in the NFL, and to get the best product, I think you need at least that seven-day rest. But I think there are unique ways that they could go about it. They would just say, what do you, what do you think of my idea, Steve, in terms two-game preseason, 20-week season, 18-game schedule, and everybody's limited to 16 games. I hear you arguing about the quarterbacks of the world, but I guarantee you the Cowboys' ratings with Cooper Rush, there's not some significant drop-off between he and Dak Prescott. Over the long term, if you were having a steady diet of Cooper Rush and all that, I, I, I don't know, maybe there would well, be some dramatic Jason. difference. But football survived for a long time when running backs were actually the superstars of the game and not the quarterbacks. And so it's just all who the, the corporate media or who the, the TV partners decide to celebrate. Football used to celebrate running backs. It's now pivoted to celebrating quarterbacks. You can sell whoever you want as the star. You, you could, th that's a decision. People enjoy intense, high-quality competition. And whether Cooper Rush is out there or Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, I I'm not sure if it makes a gigantic difference. Well, here's the issue with that. And Virgil talked uh, about load management. You could do load management in an 82-game season. You can go on a three-game losing streak on a road trip in February. It will not impact you for the NBA Finals if you're a really elite team. It, it really doesn't matter. In a 16, now 17-game season, you lose two in a row. Trust me, that third week becomes must-win in the middle of the season. So I don't know if it's really feasible. Now, if you had rules where you could say, all right, it's a 17-game season, but everyone can only play 16, and if it's a level playing field that everyone has to play under those regulations, I can see it. Here's the thing about quarterbacks, though. Jason, you know this. Um, they never get hit, though, even in practice. It's everyone else. They wear a red jersey. I mean, you touch a quarterback, you may be out the door. I mean, there's an old joke that they used to apply to Troy Aikman post-Jimmy Johnson would always grouse about Barry Switzer, and he'd say, Barry, we need more physical practices. And Barry would say, uh, Troy, you're the quarterback. You don't hit anybody. You guys always want tough practices because it doesn't impact you. So you're absolutely right. So the other thing is, let's go back to the size issue. And you talked about bone density and durability. Uh, Russell Wilson, he's a short little guy. Look at how many times he's been sacked the first decade of his career. He's been beat up like an Everlast heavy bag. But, you know, what do they what they say about the Timex? He took a licking and kept on ticking. And, and, and he's not that big of a guy, but you're right. For some reason, he is able to withstand the pounding that he has taken behind some very bad offensive lines early in his career in Seattle. Uh, but I just it, – it's really interesting to me that Chua, you're right, the ironic part is – because one of the most non-durable, if that's even a word, or brittle football players keeps getting hurt, the whole league has to now treat everyone else with kid gloves. It, it just does not make sense, gentlemen. I, see, I, I'm telling you, Steve, I'm not a fan of I don't like any part of the concussion conversation because I just, mm. you know, I started playing football, I believe, in third grade, tackle football, and I'm 55 now. So I, I've been playing, following football for a long time. If, if this concussion thing was as bad as they say it is, all the players from, 
from Jack Youngblood to Lawrence McCutcheon, I was a big Los Angeles Rams fan. Loved their uniform when I was a kid. To Isaiah Robertson, to James Harris. All those guys from that era would be walking around with Alzheimer's and debilitated if this concussion thing was as bad as they say it is. Because back then, they really played tackle football. And people, got, they were treated like boxers. You get hit, you get knocked out, they come out on the field, put some smelling salt underneath your nose, maybe you'd sit Shake for a play, off. and then they, then they get you right back out there. And, and, and so I'm supposed to believe that it's rougher in this era when they've illegalized all the hits that made Jack Tatum a great player. They've illegalized all the hits that made Dick Buckus a great player. They've made it nearly impossible to tackle or hit a quarterback the way Lau Alzado did and ragged all them around. It, it just, I just don't buy it. And, and this whole conversation, and I, I, it's a constant theme on this show, but I'm just trying to educate people on <clears throat> what social media has done to our discussions. It's eliminated all nuance and prioritize all outrage. And yeah. that's why people, people literally, I, I couldn't remember who it was, but someone said, somebody's gotta be fired over this Tua Tungwala thing. And they were tweeting this out that night. And I was like, yeah. Because this little dude got hurt? Yeah. Somebody's gotta be fired. And then the Dolphins, two, 48, 72 hours later, they fired Folded. somebody. Yep. Yep. It, it, it's, t they sacrificial lamb. Yep. This is, this is not a health, this is not a society and a type of conversation that leads to healthy conclusions. Yeah, I, I, I think there's two separate thoughts that are that are going at the same time. One is the Tua Tungvaluwa situation, where you've got a smaller player, a brittle a brittle player who's getting hit and hurt. We can have the conversation about about the the benefit and beauty of someone being just a great college player, and that's it and not push their name into the spotlight to put them in these kinds of positions. I think that's on the one end. And then on the other side of the spectrum is what you just said, which is every, everything in the NFL right now kowtows to the outrage. Uh, and, and whoever's the most outrageous, that's when things get, get spun up. That's when they begin to move. And that's, that's incredibly problematic. So I, th I think both, both issues kind of need to be looked at. at what the, the issue of, of Tua brings up the other. Right. But I think they need to be addressed and dealt with in, in separate ways and talked about in very different ways. Steve, Guys, I'll give you the final thought. Here's the issue. If you actually look at the NFL collective bargaining agreement, which has been agreed to by both sides, there is less hitting going on than ever. OK, you're not even allowed to go in pads every single day anymore. In training camp, essentially, two a days are done. So the era of the Bear Bryant, Vince Lombardi, Junction Boys, that's over. There are specific protocols and regulations now that actually dissuade coaches from putting on the pads and hitting guys. The other thing is, one thing I love to do, because it, it just it brings back a lot of great memories of my childhood, I watch a lot of NFL films. I mean, just the sound of John Facenda and the music, it make, puts me in a happy place. I watch a lot of it, and I watch a lot of older games on YouTube for research. Guys, go back to the games in the 70s, 80s, and even late 90s. That game is vicious. I mean, look, football is dangerous now. It was much more dangerous then. And it absolutely drives me nuts as an observer. There are now hits in college football. Because they look too violent, 
they actually just throw a flag and say it's targeting, and you're looking at it going, that's football. Every like Jason, nobody forced you to play football. Just like I tell a lot of disgruntled boxers, well, you don't have to box, get a job. You knew what you were getting into. And, and, and you know what's funny in boxing? The fact that they fight less now, I think, has actually made it more dangerous. And a lot of older trainers and uh, fighters agree with me. They say, Steve, it's safer because now they only fight twice a year. It's, and I go, okay, is it, is it safer? Because I've talked to trainers like Emmanuel Stewart who hated the modern game. I said, okay, is it safer then when boxers only fight twice a year, put on 40 to 50 pounds of weight that they don't need, then they start cutting weight, and because they haven't fought in so long, now they spar 175 to 200 rounds every camp with the headgear, which actually rattles the brain. People do not understand, Jason. Headgear is not about brain trauma. It's about cuts. When you get socked over it, because I've been hit with headgear, you still have a headache because that brain is still rattling the cage, Okay. And then you have to cut weight some more, and then you starve yourself. So is it really safer twice a year? I'm just saying, when sometimes we have to understand. It's like working in a cold mine. I have a lot of respect for those people. They understand what they're doing to earn an honest living for their family. They get black lung. It's not a fun job. You're in the dark all the time. And every once in a while, unfortunately, there's going to be a mine explosion. But you know what? Those men know what they're getting into. We have to come to grips with this. Boxing and football, like coal mining, it's a dangerous way to make a living. I'm going to uh, pat this show on the back, and I don't do it all the time, but I, I, maybe I need to do more off of it so people know exactly what we're doing here. But this conversation we just had, you will not hear it anyplace else. Yeah. And it needs to be had. Everybody else is going to talk about Tua Tungvaola in a very unsophisticated way. ESPN calls itself the worldwide leader. Fox Sports thinks it has all these smart uh, broadcasters and former football players. They'll never scratch the surface of a real conversation and a nuanced conversation because they're all addicted to social media. <laughs> and they just all want to please Twitter. And so I, I, I just... Every day I, I do this show, I, I, I'm just so appreciative of the fact that we've assembled enough people that can have like real conversation about what's really going on in the sports world. I want you guys to appreciate that, tell your friends about it. Like, there's a place where you can talk sports and talk about any issues in a real way. Uh, and we have sponsors like Patriot Mobile uh, that are right there with us and that's why you need to support them. If you want to know what the left's real plan is for your kids, just look at the reaction to the work Patriot Mobile did in multiple school districts in Texas. The left is losing their minds. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider and a force for conservative values. This is because they take a portion of your bill and fund conservative causes and candidates who believe in the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, the Second Amendment, and they're winning. Patriot Mobile has affordable plans for you, your family, and even your business. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers because they use multiple major networks. Plus, you're supporting conservative values with every call. Go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. Special discounts are also available for veterans and first responders. Join our movement. Make the switch today and a difference tomorrow. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. Or call 
972 Patriot. Guys, need you to do this kind of stuff. If you want to have these kind of conversations, if you want to operate outside the matrix, outside the bubble that's been created for you and your thoughts, we got to support places like Patriot Mobile. They support us, they support our worldview, they support honesty, accuracy, humility. Things I was telling you about, Tony Gonzalez made the mistake of showing on Amazon and he got killed for it. <laughs> anyway, don't go anywhere. You can also email me and us. Uh, we invite your feedback, fearlessattheblaze.com. Uh, we're gonna talk some more about the NFL and what we saw on Sunday with Steve Kim. Next. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk some more NFL football with Steve Kim as we do every Monday. Virgil Walker still in the studio here with me. Uh, Steve, the Kansas City Chiefs, 41-31 winners last night over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, what was your top takeaway last night? Chiefs are really, really good, or is there reason for concern in Tampa Bay? A little bit of both, but I'm impressed with uh, Eric Bieniemy's offense, right? Because everyone <laughs> thinks of this as the Patrick Mahomes air show. Now, the box scores don't tell you everything, but they tell you something. If I'm not mistaken, they had 31 pass attempts, 31 rushing attempts. Remember the last time the Buccaneers and the Chiefs played in the Super Bowl? It was basically target practice on Patrick Mahomes because the offensive line was banged up and they had no running game. Uh, Jason, that little Isaiah Pacheco, that little uh, rookie out of Rutgers, I believe, I think it's interesting that they gave him number 10. I don't know if that's a veiled shot at Tyreek uh, Hill, but that's like their way of saying, you know what, you're a playmaker. I love how hard he runs, and him and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are a really good one-two punch, and sometimes less is more. You may not have that explosive over-the-top guy without Hill, but I like the fact that they ran the ball, they were patient, they didn't put too much on Mahomes's uh, plate but the thing is Mahomes you're showing this plate right here the spectacular one this fireworks show you know that's always going to make the highlight films you know what I liked about most of the game though it was just one two three out one two three out he made one bad pass with that inexcusable interception at the end I personally I think Biennemi should have kept running the ball in that situation but I love the fact that Mahomes just kept taking the routine play and outside of a few drops they would have scored another 10 to 14 points. I thought that was an outstanding performance by Mahomes and the whole Chiefs offense. Uh, it's exactly what I expected the Chiefs to do last night because they wet the bed the week before, gave away a game <laughs> at Indy. 
I mean, the, the kick returner, Scott, you know, blew that game at Indy. And so I knew the Chiefs would come out like gangbusters. Uh, and so the Chiefs gave me what I expected. I, I probably expected a little more out of Tampa Bay. I, I, you know, final score makes the game seem close, but Kansas City controlled that game from start to finish. Uh, I, I am a tiny bit concerned uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know, I, John Haley told me some stat this morning that I don't remember exactly, but Tom Brady, I think, has started two and two, maybe six times in his career, if my memory serves me right. And a couple of mm-hmm. those times, his teams went on to win Super Bowls. And so I don't know if we should overreact uh, to Tampa Bay yeah. getting off to kind of a <laughs> mediocre start. Jason. Jason, I said to you last week, Jason, remember, it's only September. Well, now I'm saying this week on this Monday, hey, it's only early October. We don't know anything <laughs> till about November. Until daylight savings comes or whenever we turn the clock back or forward, I've lost track. It's hard to really gauge. And here's what I did not like. Tom Brady is great. Okay? He's outstanding. He might be the greatest of all time. Yesterday, Jason, you know they threw the ball 52 times? With only six rushing attempts, that thing is more unbalanced than his marriage to Giselle right now. Hand the ball off. Give it to the big guy, Fournette. You don't have to make this a complete seven-on-seven drill for Tom Brady, especially at this age. I think they were trailing early, and that's why they got a little pass-heavy. But I also think you're right. And when you run Bruce Arians out of a job, and now basically Byron Leftwich is calling the plays that Tom Brady yeah. once called, uh, and so that's how you get as unbalanced as they were last night. I want to move on to another interesting game that I thought probably the most interesting game uh, yesterday, uh, Baltimore and how mm. they blew the game against the Bills. Uh, they get up, I believe, 20 to 3 or something yep. like that, 17 point lead, and, and then can't do anything uh, for the rest of the game. Lamar Jackson's interception on the goal line was horrible. Wide receiver, wide open. Yeah. If he just gets that ball out on time, the wide receiver is wide open. But also, why are you not kicking a field goal there to go up three points? <laughs> is mind-blowing to me. Marcus Peters exploded on the sidelines on John Harbaugh. Baltimore gave that game away. I, you could see it coming. I'm t- mm-hmm. I started seeing it in the first half, like, oh, they're going to they're gonna piss this thing away. They're not taking care of business. I thought Lamar played uh, one of the worst games he's ever played. Uh, and I'm saying, from even when they were up big, I was like, I don't think Lamar's playing well. Uh, Buffalo's kind of giving the game away right now. And then it finally caught up with him and Josh Allen and the Bills pull out the victory. More concerned, uh, Lamar, are you more concerned with Lamar Jackson or John Harbaugh? I'm actually more concerned with Lamar Jackson. Like, hey, look, and by the way, about Marcus Peters, I, I don't want to hear that Marcus Peters went crazy. Marcus Peters went Marcus Peters. This, this happened. That's a regular occurrence. A um, couple things with Lamar Jackson. When they jumped out to that 20 to 3 lead, Jason, couldn't you just absolutely hear all the pundits talk about how he should be the first 
billion dollar quarterback that he's the greatest of all time and he's doing things that have never been done before then by the end of the game to quote i think it's fat joe the uh, second half price ain't the first half price because that thing went down like enron stock i mean you could see it it is the issue of sustainability like the highlight play of this game lean back i thought you were going to say that you know everybody needs to lean back but go ahead Yeah, lean back on that too. Yeah, lean back on the overwrought praise. Look, I like Lamar, (laughs) but this is the issue with his game. The highlight play of that game was when I think he shrugged off a blindside hit by Vaughn Miller, scrambled around, did his Fran Tarkin thing, threw a 50-50 ball that Mark Andrews just bailed him out on, and everyone cheers. And I'm like, that's a great play. But again, if that's what you're going to rely on, and if that happens too much, it's not something you can rely on. And as that game kept going, the Buffalo talent and and their depth, especially up front, because I'm just telling you, they could rush the passer in waves. And Gregory Rousseau, my guy from the U, is becoming a real standout early on. But let's go to Harbaugh, Jason. Um, I don't know what he's doing. He actually mentioned analytics, and I just rolled my almond-shaped eyes. I'm like, bro, you got four minutes to go. You put yourself up by one. Your offense has actually struggled the whole game. Now, he gave an explanation. Well, if we get stopped, we pin him down near the goal line. Well, Lamar blew that up with the interception, okay? But but in my view, um, on a wet field where neither offense was really that great throughout the day, in a game where it's 20 to 20, I don't think that's all that high scoring. To me, sometimes, forget the analytics. Do the simple old-fashioned thing and boot the thing through the uprights. You have an unbelievable kicker and tucker and say to defense, give me one stop and let's get out of here at home. I, I don't understand this. This whole reliance on analytics, Jason, Virgil, analytics is a tool. It is a guide, but it should never be a coaching manual. Yeah, I'm probably a bit more concerned with Lamar Jackson as well. Uh, because, and and I'll get into this with Jason Brown uh, later in the show, but, you know, they blew a 21-point lead to the Miami Dolphins. Both at home. And so, yeah, they've given up mammoth leads, and some of that's on coaching. Some of that, to me, yesterday, like it was on the quarterback and just like, and, and, and I'm wondering if the quarterback's unorthodox style is what leads to maybe some coaching errors or mistakes, or I, I, I don't know. But I, I, I'm if I'm concerned, because, you know, John Harbaugh, it's easy to correct, it's easier to correct mental errors uh, standing on the sidelines than perhaps correcting some of the things going on with Lamar Jackson that I saw yesterday. It just didn't look sound. It looked sloppy yesterday. Yeah. It looked lucky to be out to that 20 to 3 lead. And then at the end of the game, that's, that's, they, and this is where I would defend John Harbaugh. They had the right play called. The, his, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, came up with the right play call. That wide receiver was wide open. Early it's on. just Lamar is not one of those system right. quarterbacks that's going to be one, two, three out. Or yeah, one, two, Jason, three, four, five, out. Getting the ball out on time is more important than arm strength or anything else in my view. And the other thing is, I found this interesting, Jason. So I'm watching the game on the NFL red zone. So they, they faced it on that drive. They, and I'm like, okay, 
that there was a game of cat and mouse on one of the last runs where the Bills got to the edge of, I think, the one-yard line. Half the defense was letting him score, which I thought was the smart thing because if I'm the Bills, I would have started taking these then because you got to squeeze that clock and play the – but the, the other half of the defense tackled him. And that's where I think Marcus Peters really – because I noticed him. He was on that far sideline, the cornerback, and he was barking at the sideline. I'm thinking, hey, guys, um, it's like being pregnant. You either are or you're not. You're either going to let him score or play defense. Happy you guys. <laughs> they were not Singletary the wasn't going to score. Singletary was not going to score. He slowed down intensely. He was going to stop himself even if he hadn't been tackled. But I do get your point. There was confusion among the Ravens. Yeah, it was just a bad, sloppy game for them. The other game, Steve, another game I, I paid a lot of attention to because I wanted to make a point, what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles? They're the last undefeated team. Uh, watched them yesterday against Jacksonville. Jacksonville was kind of interesting to me. Uh, but I think the, the Eagles have beaten Washington, Jacksonville, Detroit, and some <laughs> other bottom feeder. Uh, exactly hasn't been the toughest schedule. Yeah. yeah, it hasn't been murder's row, but they're 4-0. Are the Eagles the best team in football? Again, it's only early October, but winning NFL games is tough. Now, eventually over a 17-game schedule, it's going to get tougher. It is, but I like this team. They're physical. They're hard-nosed. They're well-coached. And... Here's the thing that I love about Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's great, but I think he's a good, solid, bona fide NFL quarterback, and he brings them stability. You know what was really impressive yesterday? And again, I know it's just a press conference. When I saw Jalen Hurts step up to the mic, dress nicely, old traditional suit, clean shaven, and just giving all the right answers. I mean, he was like blurting out cliches 101, and it was great. He's mastering the art of being a franchise quarterback in the face of a city. And I'm watching this. I'm thinking about you, Jason, and Jason right here. This kid has it. No funny hats, not doing anything like that. He's just acting like a leader of a team. I, I, I'm actually a believer in the Eagles because, again, when you have a quarterback in that rookie contract, you're not spending $35, $40 million. You're spending about, what, three to five? So you could fortify the rest of that roster. That window, as George Allen once said, the future is now. You know what's funny? The last quarterback that made me feel the way Jalen Hurst does in terms of how he handles himself at a press conference, I'm not being funny. You could probably go find it in my tweets, or maybe even I wrote about it at the time. The last quarterback that made me feel that way was Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I went all in okay. on Deshaun Watson. Oh, I love the way. Yes, love the okay. way he presents himself. This is <laughs> so, that, 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 but, that had a happy ending, unfortunately. Just kidding. Yeah, yes, it did. It had a very unhappy ending. Uh, but, but here are my thoughts in watching the Eagles. Their offensive line, led by Jason Kelsey, is tremendous. They And maybe Jacksonville is not great. But I haven't seen the, the interior of Philadelphia's offensive line just manhandled Jacksonville's interior defensive line. Philly ran for 200-some-odd yards, yeah. I believe. And, and it was a really impressive performance. I, I haven't – I watched Jason Kelsey a lot. I haven't watched an offensive lineman zeroed in on him that much. I used to watch Brian Waters 
old Kansas City Chiefs guard, played with the Patriots, played with the Cowboys, tremendous player. Used to love to watch him play. Used to love to watch Larry Allen with the Cowboys. Watching Jason Kelsey the same way, the way, the way he works up to the linebackers and the double. Anyway, I like Philadelphia a lot more after watching him yesterday. I know Jacksonville's not great. So I am sold on Philadelphia right now at 4-0. I think it's significant even though they haven't played a very difficult uh, schedule. Uh, Green Bay, yeah. uh, they knock off the New England Patriots, low scoring, mm. close game. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers says the way they're winning is not sustainable. Uh, do you agree? I do, but you know how I said P-A-N-I-C a couple weeks ago? Now I'm starting yeah. to uh, R-E-L-A-X a little bit. I'll tell you why. If you can run the ball the way they do, that's the way you take the pressure off, a, off of an older quarterback. Just run the ball. They had two guys rush for over 73 yards. Uh, that Jones-Dillon um, combination is very good. They make things very easy, and they still have to develop some threats. Now, this is going to be an interesting comment I'm going to make, even though he flubbed a few times. Romeo or Alta Romeo, you were this close to being a bona fide playmaker to a point where I think Aaron Rodgers would have actually remembered your name and acknowledged you. Now, I think he's really good. Uh, Alan Lazard, they say, is their number one, but he's still got to develop. I don't know if Randall Cobb, older guy, but if Dobbs can just make the plays that he's in position to make, he has live, young legs. I actually see some upside because, again, when you can run the ball and you have Aaron Rodgers, that opens up everything. What I didn't like, Patriots are down to their third quarterback. You've got to load up on the run. And I was I watched a good bit of this game. I was stunned by how easily they got gashed again defensively in the run game. That, to me, is more troublesome than anything going on offensively. Green Bay's in the right conference, the NFC, yes. where they can fix themselves over time. It's 17-game schedule. They'll get better. Maybe they do develop this Dobbs guy into a number one receiver. You still got Aaron Rodgers. That dime he threw to, that should have iced the game yes. to the guy dropped on the way down. Uh, incredible throw by Aaron Rodgers. He still has it. Uh, I agree with him. It's not sustainable the way they're playing right. right now. But I think come November and December, they'll be playing better ball and they'll be a real threat, if not the favorite in the NFC to win it all, uh, to, to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Want to move to the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> they keep winning with Cooper Rush. I think they – did I say he's the first guy in Dallas or NFL to win his first four starts or something like that? I, I saw some, some stat that he's won his first – that's three this year and one previously. Yeah. Cooper Rush – his play, does that make you more confident in Dak Prescott in terms of will it inspire Dak or will it intimidate Dak, the success that Cooper Rush has had? It's an interesting question because if I'm Mike McCarthy, I tell Dak, no need to rush back. Let's get you fully healthy. Let's just get you fully re- and, and heck, you know what you do? <laughs> hey, Dak, I don't want you to be Tua. Let's take a couple of weeks off more. Don't rush back on our behalf. I'm kind of liking Cooper Rush. 
And there's a particular stat that made me perk up. I'm watching the red zone, and Scott Hansen, who does a great job being the point guard for eight hours, uh, they cut away from the Dallas game. But he said, here's an interesting stat. You know C.D. Lamb with Cooper Rush as his quarterback averages 91 yards receiving per game? I was like, what? I guarantee you, C.D. Lamb, if you could get him into the deepest of private conversations, <laughs> he thinks they have their starting quarterback. If I'm a receiver and if one guy is responsible for me getting almost 100 yards every game, that's my quarterback. In the immortal words of Terrell Owens, <laughs> it's not fair, but that's my quarterback. I like Cooper. He plays an efficient game. And when there's shots to be hit downfield, because they don't do that much, um, he hits him. He makes the plays. I actually think he makes the game nice and easy for himself and the rest of the Cowboys. And you know what? Zeke Elliott's been effective. He's not that explosive guy anymore, but he can stay ahead of the chains and move the chains. And Pollard could be that quick little guy that could make the explosive plays. I, I do think there is – if Cooper Rush – because I think now they play Philadelphia and the Rams, right? And I don't know what, what they're going to do with Dak, but let's say Cooper ends up playing one or two of those games and he wins it. Now, I, I'm just telling you, now you have a bit of an issue, if not a full-blown quarterback controversy. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to have a controversy with fans or Jerry Jones, but inside that locker room, mm -hmm. things like the Cooper Rush, the winning, that's where you actually have a real controversy. If, if CeeDee Lamb's numbers go down, uh, yeah. When Dak comes back, CD is going to be frustrated. And so I, I saw this, I believe, and I referenced this last week, the Elvis Gerback rich Gannon deal I saw <laughs> play out in Kansas City uh, and, and how Rich Gannon ended up moving on to Oakland and the Raiders and having a very successful run there while Chiefs fans and players in that locker room wanted Rich Gannon to stay. Mm. And what, what ended up happening, Elvis Gerback got intimidated by Rich Gannon's success, the energy, the vibe he created in that locker room, and it undermined Elvis Gerback's ability to lead that team and to play with the level of confidence, and the, at the, particularly at the rate of pay they were paying him. And so I, I've seen it, this kind of success work against the starting quarterback who's not a super, super star, Dak's paid like he's a superstar, uh, but I, I do think when you're away and the team has success without you, it undermines your confidence. Yeah, and Jason, one last note about the whole football team, playing complimentary football. Right now, whoever is the quarterback for the Cowboys does not have to be Troy Aikman or Roger Staubach. That defense, specifically the front four, and it's not just Micah Parsons, they have a fierce pass rush. So if you could just quote unquote game manage your way to about 21 to 24 points with that defense, especially if you can get ahead and you take out that running game and they can start pinning their ears back, that Dallas defense is really good. And they have the ability to just rush for and just punish quarterbacks. I mean, Carson Wentz looked like a guy yesterday who was gun shy. He did not want to hang in that pocket. And quite frankly, I don't blame him. But again, right now, a game manager with that defense can win games for the Cowboys. 
All right, I'm gonna bring Virgil back into this next conversation. It's the last conversation I'm gonna have with you. I'm gonna let you go after this. But this one, I think, works for Virgil as well as, as all of us. And I wanna remind you again what I said earlier about, you won't, this conversation we're about to have, you won't see it anyplace else. No place else will they have this conversation, and it's a real one. Antonio Brown is over in, is, is he in Dubai somewhere? He's in a pool. He's whipping his thing out, appears to be pleasuring himself in front of other hotel guests. And, you know, my immediate thoughts did not go to Antonio Brown because nothing Antonio Brown did there was accused of doing. None of it surprised me. This dude is a nut job and a predator. He's had a bunch of women uh, accuse him of being sexually inappropriate with them. Some doctor talking about he pulled his pants down or something farted in his face. And just, he, he's an inappropriate, predatory person that is unhinged. And so my first thoughts when I was reading that story, I was like, Tom Brady invited this dude into his house? That's how bad he wanted to win? And, 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 and I, I was like, his wife, his kids live there. And again, I know they got a big estate and they can keep Antonio Brown in one wing. And, and who knows how many days Antonio Brown was actually there or if it was just, but the whole conversation, my whole thought just went to, Tom Brady wanted to win so bad that he invited the biggest idiot in the NFL into his home, into his, like ethics, morality, none of it matters. It's a bad look for Tom Brady. I'm sorry. And this is where Royce White talks about it all the time, and I love it when he says no sacred honor. And that's what's missing with men. We have no sacred honor. In ter to get material success, to have career success, there's no lines we won't cross. Oh, we got to get in bed with Antonio Brown, invite him into our home around our wife and kids. We'll do that. Who, if, if O.J. Simpson could still run the football, we'll bring him on the team. It just doesn't. And I'm, this, no, it doesn't sound crazy. Anto, I'm telling you, Antonio Brown is an idiot capable of harming himself and others, uh, capable of taking advantage of that. Uh, Jesse Washington worked at the Undefeated and ESPN wrote a piece about Antonio Brown five, six years ago that when I got done reading that article, I was like, this dude's a nut job. This dude's a bad person. This dude is not someone you want to bring in to your situation and, and camp. And so if Tom <clears throat> Brady is everything he's supposed to be and having had all the success that he's had, he should have had, wanted to have nothing to do with Antonio Brown, in my opinion. He's had plenty of success. He didn't need to team up with one of the worst guys in professional sports to get a seventh Super Bowl. He didn't need to do that. That's greed. That's just no sacred honor. I'm, Steve, I'm not going to start with you. I'm going to start with Virgil. Uh, my take on, am I going too far? Look, because, again, I have no expectations for Antonio Brown. Sure. I have some for Tom Brady, and he, he did this, – this makes it – this a bad look for him. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. It, it, it absolutely is a bad look. One of the, one of the thoughts that, that I had initially was 
the position that Tom was in when this whole thing initially unfolded. I mean, here Antonio Brown had made it, you know, made just a mess of himself everywhere he went. Tom, again, to the point you're making, wants to win another Super Bowl and embraces him. And, and that's applauded. And the reason that it's applauded is because of the woke culture in the NFL. Right. There's no accountability for his actions. Uh, little to nothing said about him. In fact, you would better not say anything about him, because if you do if, about Antonio Brown, because if you do, you, you may be attacking the fact that he has mental issues. Uh, you, you, there may be some issues that, that are going on in, in his mind that, that cause him not to be able to function appropriately. And that's and that's a bad look. And so no one can can really be effective in articulating what the problem is or that or that he shouldn't be dealt with. So on the one hand, and, and you have Tom who says he, he embraces him, brings him in and, and, and allows him to, to really implode all by himself. I wouldn't have let anybody like that in my house. There's no way in the world, given his background, I would have let anyone close to my wife, my children, or I don't care how big my estate was. I'd be concerned that there would be a party going on that I'd have to you know, circle back and find out about. Add to that the fact that Antonio Brown, this was this was last chance you right here. This was his last opportunity to really to really make a difference. And what did he do with it? He actually threw it away. Um, no thought, no sacred honor. I love the, 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 the point you make in that I've got the man who's considered the goat, who's invited me onto the team. Maybe I should act right, if not for my own sake, if I don't have enough respect for myself. I would at least have respect for the person who brought me on and honor what they did. He absolutely did none of that. Again, none of what I see or have seen since is surprising. I don't think anybody else is surprised by it. Steve? Yeah, Antonio Brown and Dubois in that pool gives uh, new meaning to the term cover zero. Here's what I think. Number one, um, Tom Brady wants to win. So by any means necessary, he was going to try to help and, and bring upon that guy to the roster because he believes, hey, there's self-interest here and for the team. He's going to help us win. And they did win a Super Bowl, even though he really wasn't the player he was in Pittsburgh. But I think the lesson here that is to be learned is that work is work and home is home. And, and you should never really intersect the two. And that, you're right. In retrospect, it's a terrible look because who you bring into your home, around your family, friends, and loved ones, I think does says, uh, say a lot about you. And I really do wonder if that's one of the issues of him and Giselle saying, good grief. And it's not just specifically about A.B., but it's really about this is the stuff. Like, I've been a football wife for a decade and a half now. Uh, I even did this for you. Because, you know, in a rela when a relationship breaks down, in my opinion, like a marriage, um, it's not always just the big things. There's a phrase that Mario Cristobal uses, I think is so true. Um, there are no little things. They all matter. A thing is a thing. And I just wonder if that's just one of those little things like, hey, Tom, not only are you playing another year, we brought in AB to be in our guest home. Like, when is enough enough? So you're right. In retrospect, given the fact that there are some serious issues with Antonio Brown, yeah, it's a bad look. And Jason, I got to ask you a question. At what point is the CTE thing going to be thrown on Antonio Brown to basically mm -hmm. excuse all of his behavior while demonizing the National Football League? I actually think that's the next step. I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. Well, a lot of people love to say, oh, he hasn't been the same since the perfect hit. And those people are uninformed. And, and just haven't done the research. And this again, I go back, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but I'm telling you, Jesse Washington at The Undefeated wrote a yeah. terrific story that, and 
exposing things he was doing before the perfect hit. And then if you understand uh, AB's background, getting kicked mm-hmm. out of his home as a child, you know, this guy was not raised well, came up in a very dysfunctional, there was a reason mm-hmm. why he could have all of that talent and had down in Florida, all of that talent down in Florida and had to go to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Central Michigan mm-hmm. University yeah. to get a football scholarship. There's a reason why. He's been a headache and a nightmare everywhere he's went. When he was in Pittsburgh, they covered up for all of his headache and nightmare in an attempt to win. He betrayed those people, uh, Mike Tomlin most especially. There's a history and a pattern here with Antonio Brown. Here's what I'll say the other card that'll get played is like, well, how's this any different than Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman? The Chicago Bulls sold out everything to bring Dennis Rodman on their team and put up with all of his nuttiness. And, you know, and, and, and trust me, Dennis Rodman is a nut job. And Dennis Rodman is, maybe we didn't hear about, but he's capable of pulling out his thing thing in front of some people at a pool in Dubai, no different than A.B. We, we didn't hear, you know, we didn't hear, who knows what the case was, these kind of domestic issues when Dennis Rodman and, and all the issues, but you know, the media wasn't the same back yeah. when Dennis Rodman was playing. You could have more of a crazy all-field professional life as long as you, you don't kill Ron and Nicole, you know, yes. it was all good. Or Jason, you know, kill your baby mama like Ray Carruth. Uh, Real quickly, last you know, word. It was about a different Rodman. time. Yeah, I'm going to wrap this in a bow here. Look, Dennis Rodman is a self promoter. AB is self destructive. I think there's a huge difference. Um, they're kind of the same, but not really. Not in my opinion. I think you could be right. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Great job, as always. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit notifications, hit subscribe. Get in the live chat. I'm always there uh, getting the comments. I'll be there uh, as well tonight uh, looking for your responses, your feedback. All right. uh, My favorite part of Monday is just around the corner. Last Chance Q with Jason Brown. All right. Welcome back. Uh, I hate to call this my favorite part of the show, but it is, and I, it's hard to say that after you know Steve Kim, but uh, Jason Brown, Last Chance Q, as I like to call him, is so fascinating, so entertaining, and he's so fearless uh, with his comment. You can't get his analysis of football anyplace else in the media space. Uh, so uh, Jason Brown, uh, welcome back to the show. I can't. What's up? The, how you the, doing? The one thing, Jason. People keep uh, calling, email, and texting me, asking me, "What's around your head?" I think I figured it out, but he's got a visor. That's what I I told people. You got a visor on backwards. Yeah, can't see. All right. So now, now we figured that out. Yeah. Now, now we can get into it. The, the next thing is we're going to work on you actually looking into the camera, but don't, I don't want you to come out of your zone because it may make you, it may make you, it may throw you off content wise. I just want the content. I tell people all the time, I don't care where he looks at. Yeah. I don't care what he looks at. The content's good. I just want his mouth moving. Uh, so I'm going to start here. I'm going to give you a layup. 
you've been on Lamar Jackson's rear end all season and probably longer than that. Uh, man, they've blown two big leads, a 17-point lead yesterday, a 21-point lead earlier. Lamar threw a horrible interception. Wide receiver, wide open. John Harbaugh should have been kicking that field goal, but they did dial up the right play to win that game, and Lamar didn't execute. Uh, is Lamar Jackson the problem with Baltimore holding on to leads? Well, this is the thing. He threw for 144 yards yesterday. So they clearly don't want him to have full autonomy of the offense when it comes to crunch time critical throws and especially down the stretch where it takes critical throws from the pocket to move the sticks, sustain drives, keep the other opposing team off the field, which he cannot do. He leads the league in three and outs um, in critical situations. So you got a guy that can't get off. You can't stay on the field in critical crunch time. And 144 yards tells me, by the way, he only threw the ball 23 times. It just tells me they're not fully comfortable with him throwing the ball in the crunch. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I would say he's a big part of it. You know what I mean? He's a big part of it because – but are we talking about it just to be fair if Harbaugh kicks a damn field goal? Like, what is he doing? Uh, I'm confused on this whole thing. And, and sometimes coaches lose games, players win them. But at the same time, he can't make that throw. I mean, he's a guy that escapes the pocket all the time. That's what I – cry about that's what i bitch and moan about why is he now wants to backpedal and throw off his back foot in the back of the end zone like this, right now he should step up or escape now escape do you do you lamar he, he he throws a ball up and this is what i mean by sustainable it's not sustainable man i've been dealing with the twitter gurus all day uh that are hating on me because i they think they call it slander and i'm like wow slander is the new truth huh so um they, that is slander, I guess, when, when players uh, do bad. By the way, I blasted Carson Wentz yesterday, too, so don't give me the black and white thing. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. So, like, it is what it is. Well, I agree with you. On this play here, if he steps up half a foot into the pocket and keeps his eyes downfield, he sees pa- this guy wide it? open. Can you rewind it and pause it I don't, at all? Or no? Yeah, I think we can. Hold on. Let's, yeah, we can run it back and pause it because so there is a moment. Again, the guys back. are coming up on the edges. Look at the middle of that pocket, though. The guard oh, yeah. and centers are doing an awesome job. Yeah, that's the thing about it. Right now, we should have two hands on the football, A. That just tells you that we're not ready to read coverage. When we have one hand on the football, that tells us that we are ready to drop and run. That is what it is. He's basically holding the baton. See, people don't want to understand and break down real quarterback play. He's holding the baton right now. But when you're coaching cues, you have two ball, two hands on the football right now. Now I'm going to use my shoulders as momentum. I'm going to protect the football with my offhand and make you rip through my entire body to get the ball. Right now, he's clearly bad mechanics. He has one hand on the football because he's ready to drop and run, and he hasn't even completed his drop. So if we have two hands on the football, it makes us now work the pocket. So we're going to climb the pocket, in essence. And if you see here, if he climbs the pocket and gets through number 50, he has a clear step-up lane, and he can actually walk in the end zone, or he can read coverage and find a play uh, with his arm. 
He doesn't. He wants to. He continues to not uh, climb pockets, and it's, it's because he is so quick to drop what he know, drop what he's been told, and do what he knows, and that is be an athlete and run. And that is why you see 144 yards on the uh, in the air. Like this is high school statistics, Jason. Like I'm going to read you something and tell me this isn't one of your high school games when you played. Um, I like, like, seriously, here it is. Let me read you the stat line. Lamar Jackson is 20 of 29, 144 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. He ran the ball 11 times for 73 yards. <laughs> that is high school statistics in the NFL. Like, what are we doing? My quarterback, my franchise quarterback's running the football 11 times a game. 11 times, and you want to pay him $200 million. And you think it's sustainable. Good luck. I... I... To this week, I cannot argue with you. I watched a lot of this game, and I'm t- they were up 20 to three. And the entire time, I was like, hey, they're not playing the right way. This, is, this thing could get ugly late. Josh Allen's not going to continue to play poorly. They're going to figure out a way to score some points. Baltimore is not doing the right things to protect this lead. And again, what they would argue is like, hey, we're up 20 to three. We lean out of the passing game. We're going to run. We're going to shorten this game by running the ball and all this other stuff. But they just weren't putting together sustained drives, and I could see it. And then that, that last play, I'm just telling you, if he steps up a half an inch just a little bit and keeps his eyes downfield, that receiver was open for a solid two seconds. And oh, he, he would have seen him. And yeah, or he walks in, but I'm, he would have seen this receiver just wide open. It would have been an easy toss. By the time he got ready to make the throw after all that backpedaling, DB had caught up, made a play at the end. It was a bad, bad play. It, but from start to finish, I was watching the game. It was like, Lamar's not playing well here. And this is a big money game. If he gets this victory, Beats Buffalo. Next thing, well, they'd be three and one. He'd be the toast of the end. They're two and two right now. Uh, they, there's issues in Baltimore. Now, having said what you said, you're saying they don't have confidence as him as a quarterback as it relates to the passing game. If that's the case, why did John Harbaugh go for it in that situation? and call a pass play as well. Let me ask you this. I'm going to be out there. I, I hate doing conspiracy theories, but setting you up for failure sure looked like a possibility right there yesterday. Hey, man, we don't want to pay you $200 million. We don't think you're the guy. Go prove it to us that you are, that you deserve this money. Let's get it on fourth down. Let's you go win the game. How about that thought? Has anyone said that one? Hell nah. Nobody's come out with that one, but... It is a very, very peculiar situation to be putting that quarterback in and basically saying, you want this money? All right, here you go, big dog. That is what it looked like to me, being a coach for a long time, having players in the league, playing in it, seeing it, being around it, uh, looked pretty, pretty uh, interesting, to say the least. I don't want to say shady. I'm going to say interesting um, to put him in that position with his arm. Not even a sprint out, Jason. Let's sprint him out at least, turn the protection back. Let's sprint him out, give him a run-pass option, what he is best at, 
We're going to give him a straight drop back, read coverage, give him a route concept that we know he's not very good at, and that's going to be our last play of the game? Very, very interesting to say the least, man. That is something that says, now we have receipts too, Lamar. We don't think you're worth the money. And what's going to happen with that comes to fruition at the end of the game? Jason, this is why I love having you on, man. Oh, my God. You just blew my mind. You blew my mind not because I think you've got a tinfoil hat on. You just gave me something to think about because just keep in mind, Jason, the, the other part of the equation here is Lamar doesn't have an agent. Lamar and his mom are representing him. And you, negotiations can get nasty and ugly. And that's why you have an agent so that you don't hear what they really think and they never have to tell you what they really think. You keep that buffer there. And so when it's Lamar or his mom doing the negotiating, things can get personal. And, and you st people start saying things that it's not an agent, it's the mom, it's the player. And, and what perhaps, if your theory is true, and I cannot dismiss it. I can't hop on board and say I'm 100% sure that's what's going on. But if it's true, John Harbaugh could be making a case to the locker room. Y'all really want me? Y'all really want this organization to give 40, 50% of the salary cap to this quarterback? Is that really what y'all want me to do? Because there's some guys I could give a big chunk of the salary cap to that can make this play on the goal line and would have seen that wide receiver wide open and we would have had a touchdown and I wouldn't be. And so John Harbaugh right now is taking the heat from Marcus Peters and other people for not kicking that field goal. But the real agenda might be to open that locker room up to Lamar is a dependent player. We can't give a huge percentage of our salary cap to a quarterback that needs all these other pieces, great offensive line, solid defense, receivers willing to sacrifice stats uh, to win. And so I, I cannot dismiss what you're saying. And an organization with a long-term view uh, can make decisions like that, like, hey, we – we want to keep Lamar at the right price. Let's let him hang himself. And let's, be, because again, just what you said last week about guys will run through a wall for Lamar, that locker room's all on board with Lamar. But today, as they watch the tape of this game, there's some guys in that locker room saying, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> what, 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 what do we really have here in Lamar? It's a, it's a great point you make. Specifically, DuVernay, the receiving core. You wonder why the receivers are no-namers. Name me a receiver on that roster that's anything that we've ever seen before. Do you know any of them? Edwards is becoming one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Uh, it's very easy to bracket a, a tight end compared to bracketing an outside receiver. Because on a tight end, you can... Andrews, you, can, you mean. Andrews, Mark Andrews, Andrews not sorry. Edwards. Andrews, sorry. Yeah. You, can, you, can, you can bracket a tight end and, and, and eliminate him from the quarterback's view a lot easier than you can an outside receiver that's, that's legit. 
Um, you can you can put a D in on the tight end on the line of scrimmage, reroute him to a Sam linebacker or a strong safety. You can put a Sam backer on him and mug him up and have a strong safety over the top of him. You can bracket him with an outside corner, trapping him if you run a flat route. Outside receivers, you got to either bracket him with a straight up safety and a lockdown corner or disguise some things in zone and man. You can't do it. Tight end, you can take it away. He has no outside receivers. So if you take away Andrews, now what is he doing? He's stuck with his baton in his hand, figuratively speaking, and you don't have any outside receivers for simple fact of this. The outside receiver marketplace just jumped and skyrocketed at an all-time high this last summer, this offseason and signing. When we signing guys like, uh, you know, the guy at Frisco, who's a running back slash receiver, he gets the bag. Devontae Adams gets the bag. Cooper Cup gets the bag. All these guys get the bag. Well, let me ask you something. Can you get the bag if you have no stats? No. So who is really going to go play for Lamar Jackson? No receiver in their right mind of any type of stature or name is going to go to Baltimore and play there when the market is rising day by day on based on your numbers. So there's a reason Hollywood Brown got out of there, contrary to your belief, because he knows he's chasing a bag and he can't get it in Baltimore because he can't get any stats. So we're throwing the football, Jason, 29 times. Tom Brady threw it 60 last night. And he was 49 of 60 or some crazy. He was 39 of 52. Okay, that's accurate. 39 of 52. 80% completion percentage for 400 yards. He's 45 years old. That is sustainable. And he did it against a decent Chiefs team. Um, and w- when he just now got his, his guys back, first game back with his guys, and he throws for 400 yards. That is what happens when you're an elite quarterback compared to a guy that's throwing the ball 29 times for 144 yards and people don't want to play there because of that fact. And if you look at his stats, but let, let me let me go further, Jason, real quick. When I've told you on your show three weeks ago that I am standing by my belief that quarterback play as a whole in the NFL is as worse as I've ever seen it, I stand by it even Harsher now, stronger opinion now than I did three weeks ago. Let me just give you some stats. When in your career as a journalist, as a media person, as a radio host, whenever, Kansas City star, go back to whatever you've done. When in your career have you seen a quarterback in the NFL throw for 144 yards? Trevor Lawrence threw for 174 yards. Marcus Mariota. 139 yards. Baker Mayfield, 179 yards. Derek Carr, 188 yards. Ryan Tannehill, 137 yards. And Daniel Jones tops it off with a 71-yard performance. And Justin Fields threw for 170 yards. Have you ever seen high school stats in the NFL at the quarterback position like we have right now? And let me let me take it a little further. Geno Smith is starting quarterback in the NFL. So is Jacoby Brissett. You're telling me quarterback plays at an all-time high, and those two start in your NFL. <laughs> we can't find a better quarterback in America, better than Jacoby Brissett and Geno Smith. And you think the NFL landscape is loaded as it's ever been. This is what I get from people every day. No, quarterbacks are athletically gifted as we've ever seen. 
Quarterback play is as worse as we've ever seen. There's a huge difference in being an athlete at the position and playing the position and being an efficient passer, an efficient manager, a it factor guy that's going to win you the game in crunch time like Lamar didn't do. Um, these are things that I've seen at an all-time high. I've never seen this stats in, in my career, and I'm seeing it week in and week out. Quarterback play is bad okay. in the NFL, bad in college. JB, I agree with you. I, I love where you're going with those stats and the analysis, but I, I have to say the main culprit is college football. And I've been saying this for years. Once they started this process of guys going up to the line of scrimmage and 11 people looking to the sidelines, waiting to be told what to do, and then going back here, these, these young people aren't being taught to think. There's someone on the sidelines holding up signs with pictures and all. The whole game has been dumbed down to the point that when they get to the NFL and then there's no practice time, they've eliminated practice basically. When do they ever get trained up in how to think critically and to process the game? That's why I don't uh, compare these guys with all the stats they put up. And man, I love Patrick Mahomes. I, I love him. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Love that he took him to the Super Bowl. But it will be impossible for me to put him on the same category as John Elway and Dan Marino and Johnny Unitas and these guys that did it. With these guys, these some of these guys called their own plays. These guys can't even say when to hike the football without somebody in their ear telling them exactly what to do. You just can't compare them. And so I, I blame, and you were a former college coach, I know at the JUCO I blame the coach. Y'all cripple them in college. I, I, I say the exact same thing. This is where it starts. I've been saying the exact same thing, and this is why, though, okay? We got coaches who are very lazy teachers. When you're a coach, you need to be a good teacher. We now have coaches making $9, $10 million. Mel Tucker. I mean, this is the first three-game losing streak in Michigan State in the last 20 years or something. He's making $9 million a year. Uh, we're firing coaches left and right. We got guys that are recruiting the best athletes who play quarterback in college so we can run up-tempo, in the shotgun, no verbiage, all signal, go fast, RPO, triple option, and you win me games so I can get my $9 million bag. And then you're on your own, Lamar Jackson. You're on your own, Kyler Murray. You're on your own, Baker Mayfield. Win me a Heisman because you're a freak, but then you're on your own. Go to the NFL and figure out that it is an actual different galaxy. Not a different world. It is a different galaxy. NFL to college is a completely different galaxy. So when you get to the NFL and you see zone fire pressure and you see zone blitz and you see safeties roll down in your face and drop at the snap and go get to the hash and they rotate into a cover two and you've never seen that before, now you're sitting there like, oh, now I'm holding the proverbial baton in my hand again because I don't know where the hell I'm going with the football. So now – we got all these things going on, and guess what? Since you showed me cards of Jason Whitlock and Jason Brown's faces on it, and that's your up-tempo card, and then 
You don't teach me protection. You don't teach me front. You don't teach me technique. You don't teach me gap responsibility. You don't teach me rotation of coverage. Now I'm in the NFL as this freak of nature that knows nothing. The second part, the flip side of the coin is the NFL, shame on them, owners and coaches, for throwing these guys the keys to the Ferrari without ever seeing them drive, ever seeing them have a driver's license, and now we're going to give them a big old bag of money, and you're an unproven commodity, and you're going to lead our franchise. And you wonder why football at the position of quarterback is at an all-time low. Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz. I can go on and on and on with these quarterbacks. I mean, the kid Mills at, at the Texans, uh, you know, Cooper Rush is, is 4-0, 4-0. And we paid Dak Prescott $150 million. And this is a guy that's just sitting around just absorbing things as a backup. And you wonder why these guys that get roles after being a backup come in and are successful because they're listening, they're seeing, they're absorbing through osmosis, whatever you want to call it. Let me ask you this, Jason. Nobody's talked about this yet. Don't be surprised if Jordan Love gets in the game in two years when Aaron Rodgers finally gives it up and is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He hasn't played. He's backed up Aaron Rodgers just like Aaron backed up Favre, just like a lot of greats backed up people and learned, saw, and did. And now you're seeing these guys being thrown in the fire year one and because it's such an instant gratification, fast, gimme now, gimme, 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 what have you done for me lately, business. Don't be surprised if Jordan Love comes in and is automatically better than Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield. Watch how he is better than all these guys because he sat, he learned, he listened, and he actually got to see it. We're throwing these cats into the wolves, man, and I feel bad for these dudes. It's not that we're sitting here bashing them. We're sitting here telling the truth. And I sh shame on the owners, shame on the NFL right now. We need to put quarterbacks in a better position to succeed, and we're not. And I just see it trending, and it's going to spiral out of control. When does it stop, Jason? When does it stop? It can't stop because guess what? Now the Giants, who are 3-1 and one with Daniel Jones, who really isn't doing very good, are going to draft what? They're going to draft Bryce Young or whatever team is at the end of the season bad. They're going to draft another quarterback. And guess what? You're going to throw that quarterback right into the fire, too. And we're just continuing the cycle. Let Daniel Jones stay in the Giants as a starter. Let's draft a quarterback, but let him learn. Daniel will be in year four or five, and he's actually getting better. They're three and one. Nobody thought that. But there's a lot of situations I can break that down with. You know what I mean? I can say that with Mills. I can say that with Cooper Rush. Let's trade Cooper Rush when Dak comes back. We'll get something from him. He can go be the starter at a bunch of these places. How about Cooper Rush going to Pittsburgh? Be a starter there. How about the kid backs him up and learns that's there now? Riddler or whatever from Pittsburgh. Let, let me help your point. Let me help your point. Let me help your point. Let's say the three best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre. Patrick Mahomes sat his first year behind Alex Smith. Most of his first season, Tom Brady sat behind Drew Bledsoe. These guys all went through some kind of incubation process. The three best quarterbacks in the league. And again, 
that means that uh, particularly for Brady and and Rodgers, they didn't get some big enormous bag. Brady never got it and has never asked for it. And and you know Aaron Rodgers because he's sitting behind Brett Favre didn't get some big major contract until down the road. And so the whole system that we have set up in college, which you just broke down very beautifully, to the pros, is set up to cripple and destroy these guys. They all get a bunch of money at the, early in their careers, and then they all wash out, and you look like a fool for having overpaid these guys. Uh, it, it's it's the, the other thing, and this isn't a question it's a question better directed at me than to you, but, but I'm listening to this conversation you and I are having. These issues are so obvious of what's going on. I've had John Gruden, or saw John Gruden talking to the Touchdown Club in Arkansas, talking about the lack of practice and what it's done to football. These issues are so why is Why aren't they being discussed on ESPN? Yeah. Why, why, in the broadcast booth, I, I, during games, I hear very, the Broncos, they're all reluctant to point out these obvious things that you come on every Sunday and Monday and point out, like, here's the read, they, they blew it here. No one talks this way. Again, better question for me, but I'm the host, I'm going to ask you, why, why aren't these things being discussed? So let me ask you this, if I asked you some chemistry questions and you don't know the answer to it, why is that? Because you don't know. <laughs> They don't know. They clearly don't know. Like, I used to ask my players all the time, hey, man, where's you gone down a map? Point it out. They don't know. And I'm like, you're a young brother that don't know where an African country is, and you're going to say, blame who? Who are we blaming? Because they have, so we only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. And that is what you're seeing at the highest platforms in America. These big platforms, these people that are on there being paid a lot of money, do not know anything about what they discuss. I'm just telling you. I, I hate to point out the same people, but we got these people out there that just will not, un they don't understand the difference between power and counter, between zone and power, between zone and counter. And they're literally on these platforms talking about this is why he's messing up. And I'm sitting there like, no, it's not, not even close. And when I respond, people don't respond. It's funny. They don't, because they JB, know. JB, JB. JB, let, let me help you with your point because what a lot of people say, well, hold on, man. These guys are former players. Mm -hmm. What do you mean they don't know? And that's one of the – Because I, I would, what they don't understand is that professional football, primarily, just like the NBA, it's a genetics lottery. It, whoever hits that genetics lottery is who makes it. To, it ain't the smartest player. It's not the hardest working player. And again, a lot of these guys are smart. A lot of these guys do work hard. But that those leagues reward genetics, not intelligence or hard work. I, I'm going to give you, not to pick on this one particular guy, doesn't play offense, but there's a defensive end named Jalen Phillips. For some reason, I can't think of which NFL team he's, yeah, he's with right LA. now, but he's, he's a starter. Right yeah, he went to UCLA originally, washed Man. out because of off-the-field issues and identity issues. Did nothing. Didn't pee a drop at UCLA. Went down to Miami, barely peed a drop. Didn't really have a great career at Miami. But because of his talent and genetics, 
he was still a high draft pick in the NFL. He didn't do anything in college, but his talent is so, he's in the NFL starting now, starting. And allegedly, you know, a, a decent, good player. So just because you played into the game doesn't mean you know the game, doesn't mean you're a student of the game. You'd, people would be shocked how little a lot of these former players actually know. Hmm. They, they know their position and that's it and, and may not really even know their position. It, it's... I, I, I take it further. This is what I just I've had former NFL players on my show In the NFL. It is completely different than college where you actually learn the game somewhat. You learn what a three technique is, what a shade is, what a four eye is in the NFL. That is your position. Hey, son. Hey, Willie McGinnis, you are a five technique and you have C gap. On occasion, you will have B gap when we run this, when we tap you on the butt on the inside cheek, it tells you that my linebacker is going outside. You're going to go inside. All right, cool, coach. And guess what? You have quarterback every time. All right, coach. And if you don't have quarterback, guess what? What, coach? You're cut. And, oh, shoot. Okay. So I got quarterback every time. And guess what? The linebacker has running back every time. That is what the NFL difference is. So I don't really know football. I know my position. I have one job responsibility, and I don't care about my other teammates because they all have one job and one responsibility. Why don't you think they run option in the NFL very successfully like they do in college? Because in college, it's schematics. In the NFL, it is job-related. You have a job. You have quarterback. You have pitch. That is why you don't run options successfully in the NFL, because these players actually have assignments that will get them fired from their million-dollar job. So when you have that, you don't see a lot of different things that you would – you don't see the same things you would see in college. So having said that, when you're robotically trained to be one thing – you're a horrible coach when you get back into the game, out of the game, and get into the coaching realm of it. Ask Mike Singletary. Ask all these guys that were big-time players. The better the player, the worse the coach. That is in the history of the game. And look at the coaches that didn't play a lot. Bilicek, Parcells, these guys that didn't play at big-time institutions and that weren't very good. They actually learned the game at a higher level because they knew they were going to be short-lived in this playing thing, and I'm going to end up coaching later on, like the McVeighs you mentioned, like the Shanahans. These guys weren't great players, but they knew there was an end all to this thing. The great players chase the bag, and they become horrible coaches because they expect Jason Whitlock to do the same thing that Mike Singletary did at Mike Linebacker. It ain't happening. You're a freak of nature, Mike. Your guys can't do what you did, so why are you yelling at them? They'll never do what you did. That is the difference. <laughs> you, you went to my point from a week ago, and it's exactly where you took me. This whole myth that, like, well, there's all these former players. 70% of the players are black, so 70% of the coaches should be black. And, and I'm – Great players, the best players, don't make the best coaches, period, end of story. The more talented you are, 
the less technique matters. All the fundamentals and the details. When you don't have talent, you start leaning into technique. And that's why, even though I was just a mid-major college football player, but if anybody ever watched tape of me, I always stepped with the right foot. I always had my hands properly placed. I always, because I had to. I was a shade over six feet. I wasn't headed to the NFL. I played against guys, Joel Smingy and guys like this that I, I played against that were headed to the NFL. If my technique wasn't perfect, I had no chance. And so th that, people don't get it. And, and that and we're Jason, sitting around thinking, Lawrence oh, yeah, all these former NFL players. Yeah, remember Jace, uh, Lawrence Taylor would just walk up late to the line of scrimmage because he was exhausted because of whatever reason, right? Party partying last night. He walks up to the line of scrimmage. He barely gets set. His hand don't even get down. They snap the ball, and he goes, sack. Like, because he's a freak of nature that can't be replicated. And it doesn't – that's the difference between those type of guys and then guys like us who just try to get by and got a cup of tea here or there. Like, there's just a difference in, in genetics, like you said, but there's also a mindset difference. Like, it, it goes both ways, though. I, I do believe that, you know, you have players – you have coaches now that weren't great players, but they actually at least played compared to players, coaches that have never played. Mike Leach, Charlie Weiss – Never played a down or a snap. Um, you know, people argue, oh, yeah, they're good. I don't think they're really good because they haven't won anything meaningful. Uh, Weiss didn't do anything since he left Belichick. Uh, Leach can't win any games that mean anything. He can look pretty and run all this passing uh, league st concept stuff, but he's never going to win a meaningful game um, or a bowl win or a big-time BCS playoff game because I believe that actually matters when it kind of matters too um for as far as credibility goes but then when you're a very good player you also lose credibility because you think your players are supposed to do everything you think Dion demands his db to do exactly what he did do you think that, there's not even a human being the, in the world that can do what Dion did to this day and that's why his i, I liked where Dion's headed as a coach because i could see him going from when he was coaching high school in dallas demanding kids to do what he did and he realized they can't do what i did now at jackson state He's not the same way. He's actually grown a little bit, which I appreciate. But you don't see that a lot by a lot of these guys. JB, there was a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. I'm only going to get to one of them. Uh, and that's someone told me uh, that you have a your top five quarterbacks after week four. Uh, could we rattle off uh, who your top five quarterbacks are four weeks into the NFL season. I, I was told I'm going to be shocked by this list. My top five right now, I would probably go with, uh, and I'm not going to give you number one through five. I'll just give you the top five right now because this is the reason why, Jason, because the Rams play tonight. So, I, you know, Monday Night Football, Stafford is, is probably always going to be in my top five right now just because of what he did in Detroit for 10 years, probably the worst organization in football and a lot of people don't realize the two top receivers in the history of football have one common denominator, and that's Matthew Stafford. Megatron and Cooper Cup, the two single leading receivers of all time, have that guy in common. Aaron Rodgers can't even say that. Neither can Tom Brady. So Matthew Stafford in another program that was competent for the last 10 years 
he might be a shoe in Hall of Famer and have three Super Give Bowl rings. Give me your rings, top five. All right, I got Rodgers, Brady, Stafford. Uh, I'm going to go uh, – right now I'm going to go – man, it's tough, man, because you got these guys playing uh, – Russell Wilson's out um, after this week, this year's performances. Um, right now, I'm going to throw Jalen Hurts in there for what he's doing. We're talking right now, right? Not all time. Yep, 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 yep. Right all now, right. I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw Herbert as five. What he did yesterday so, with a cartilage and what he's done with the rib fracture um, is what it's all about. That is what makes you separate you from good to an elite and getting the win on top of it, throwing for 340 yards, being three for 30 for 39, 340, three touchdowns with a broken rib cartilage. Uh, he is in there over Mahomes and over Allen. The reason being is uh, Mahomes has a higher expectation, in my opinion. He is supposed to be better than what he is right now. He's had two good games. He's had two mediocre games. And um, I'm going to put Herbert edging him and Allen. So Mahomes and Allen would be the, the next two in. Um, but right now, I'm going to go with that. those five for what they're doing right now. Jalen Hurts is undefeated as a starter this year. He's changed his mechanics. I give him nothing but credit for that. I'm not a big believer in Jalen Hurts. Uh, I don't know if he's sustainable either, but right now he's got to be in the mix because of what he's done and the professionalism that he has approached with um, getting better, which Lamar Jackson has not done. So um, I put Jalen Hurts in the top five right now. Go ahead, argue with JB. me. JB, no, I, I, I'm not going to. You were too good. I'm not going to argue with you. You were too good earlier in the show. Uh, I just hats off another phenomenal performance. Uh, you're a natural. Uh, I'm gonna let you go. Thank you, JB. Awesome job as always. Uh, Virgil, what do you think? Mahomes and Allen not in his top five. I mean, now that I've gotten exposed to JB, I get it. I get it because he's gonna be he's gonna be countercultural. He's gonna do what what you don't think. Um, man, there was so much in that conversation. So many good nuggets in the conversation. I, I think there's a story behind what you guys unpacked with the lack of discipline with players, um, the lack of ability that they have to understand the full breadth and depth of the game. Um, I think there's, I think there's, there's, there's some story there. There's, there's some things to kind of, kind of take a look at there. But overall, I mean, just great conversation, great segment. Glad I got a chance to sit in and be a part of it. Thank you, Virgil. Good to see you, Steve Kim. Jason Brown and Virgil Walker. What a combination. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> all right, that's it, and that's all for us. We're here tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff. Nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder. Making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed When we all wanna be free
wanna be, I just want 